If you have your Bibles this morning, we are walking through the Gospel of Luke, and we'll be uh, again in Luke chapter 9 as we've been working through uh, this uh, chapter there. So if you have your Bibles, if you turn there. Uh, first of all, thank you so very much for your tremendous kindness and love is shown to me and my lovely wife. Uh, I will again uh, reiterate that behind every great man uh, is a better woman, and so I'm just destined for greatness. Uh, and uh, uh, so thankful for my lovely wife. But it is an honor and a privilege, and we count it an honor and a privilege uh, to minister with you and to serve the Lord here. And so thank you for your love for us, but thank you for your service to our Lord and Savior as well and as we serve Him together. And so as we've been walking through the Gospel of Luke, we have learned a lot of things. We've been investigating the life of Jesus, but as we investigate the life of Jesus, it's actually the fact that we investigate even more to those who are around Jesus. And today, really kind of focusing on the, the disciples, the apostles that are with Jesus here. And so to kind of bring our minds to what we're going to see in our text today as we continue on in Luke 9, we need to realize that at this point, the apostles, those who were with Jesus from the very beginning, those who Jesus called as disciples and then called them as apostles, they have been with Jesus now for almost two years. They've been walking with him, going through his ministry. Jesus now has, has mentioned several, several times, and he will today again. Uh, the second time, he mentioned uh, one other time, and the second time that he's looking to go to Jerusalem. And the reason why he's look, looking to go to Jerusalem is because he's looking towards the cross. So there's, there's a pivotal point here that's taking place uh, with the disciples. But with the disciples here, we see something very, very important. And, and what we see here is that Throughout all of this time, I want you to understand what they have witnessed, what they have learned, what they have been taught. They have watched Jesus, or they've, they've listened to many teachings of Jesus, even his Sermon on the Mount. They've, they've been there for that. That was uh, given to them. They, they have watched all of this. They have watched Jesus heal hundreds of people. They have witnessed as he's cast out demons. They've seen him raise people from the dead. They've experienced him calming the storm and literally saving their lives, uh, and they have come to understand that He is the Christ, He is the Messiah, He is the Anointed One of God. And then they've been given the authority from Jesus to preach the gospel, to heal the sick, and cast out demons, and then they've just gone on a very successful ministry journey that Jesus had sent them out to the various villages there where they preached the gospel, they healed the sick, they cast out demons. And then Peter, James, and John, as we saw last week, the inner three apostles here, went with Jesus up to the uh, mountain there on the mountainside where Jesus was transfigured before them. They literally witnessed Jesus in his glory, him as King of kings, Lord of lords, and they were in the presence of the king. Now, I say all of that to set this up. After all of this, you would think that they would be prepared for anything that came into their life. You think that whatever would come into their life uh, with someone else or with them, they would be prepared to minister, to do whatever it takes to take care of those situations, and you would be absolutely right. They've been ministered to, they've been taught, they've been given the authority of Jesus for the, over these two years. They're ready to go. They're primed and ready to go for ministry. But, right? <laughs> Isn't that how it happens? But the moment... 
the moment it came where they were to step out on their own and do ministry, uh, the moment that uh, circumstance came into their lives that they should have been able to handle, they failed. They should have been ready. They should have been prepared. They should have been able to take care of this situation that we're going to see here. And, uh, I mean, they just came off a successful ministry. Jesus has uh, given them the instructions. He has empowered them. He has given them the authority. They should be ready to go. And when it came to be time, they failed. And then to add insult to injury, if you will, or to add one other step on top of this, Jesus' reaction is very telling and eye-opening. And so let's look at our narrative today and walk through this. And uh, you'll notice this is, uh, you're already sitting there sensing, this is a pretty intense passage of Scripture. This is one of those passages that if you didn't preach the Scripture straight through, you'd probably skip. And maybe as we get through this, you might have said, I wish you would have skipped this. But guess what? It's in the Bible. It's God's Word and we're not going to skip it, okay? So let's look at it uh, today as we move into the narrative in Luke chapter 9. Now, as we look at Luke's narrative here in Luke chapter 9, one thing you need to understand is that these incidents, these events have taken place in all three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And so Luke gives us uh, the basic un understanding of what's happening here. Matthew and Mark give us a little bit of the uh, side commentary, so we're going to take all three and kind of mix them together a little bit here to see the total picture of what happens. But in verse number 37, it says this, On the next day... That next day is the next day of them coming down from the Mount of Transfiguration. Okay, So they're coming down from the mountaintop. And on the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met them. As I said, this was after they've come down from the mountain. Let me ask you this in your life. Have you ever, spiritually speaking, come down from the mountain immediately into the valley? Right? You have a mountaintop experience where God moves and does a great thing in your life and then the next day you come, come down from that and you're in the valley and you're, and you're in the middle of ministry and struggling and, and you're on a spiritual high here and then it just kind of seems like the bottom falls out and it falls apart on you. Uh, it's happened to all of them. This is what the disciples, uh, the apostles are dealing with as well. Uh, Jesus, they've come down the mountain and a crowd has gathered the next day as it normal, right? Wherever Jesus is, a crowd of people is. Uh, there and so the crowd is there the crowd is waiting but Jesus isn't there yet I, we don't know where Jesus is off praying off doing whatever uh, you know possibly even sleeping in in the morning he's allowed to do that you know right we, he can do that so he's, he's not there the crowd is there but the disciples are there the apostles are there uh, and he wasn't there yet and Mark tells us that in the midst of this crowd together that they got into an argument the disciples were arguing with the scribes, and the crowd gets into this whole thing and starts arguing. Well, why were they arguing? What happened that they were arguing? Well, someone came for the disciples to minister, for the apostles to minister, and it doesn't go very well. And then Jesus walks onto the scene. And as you can imagine, what happens? What does the crowd do? They all turn, Mark tells us, uh, and they run to Jesus, glad that he's there, but they want to go to Jesus because Jesus is the head of the complaint department. <laughs> you ever been there? 
And the crowd comes to Jesus and goes, Jesus, we came, we were looking for you, you weren't here, we went to your disciples, we went to your apostles, and, and, they did, and all these people are talking, the crowd is talking to Jesus all at one time. You ever have that happen? If you have any kids, you sure have, haven't you? All right, mom, dad, he did, she did, they did, he did, what is, whoa, wait a minute, stop. And all of a sudden, in the midst of the crowd, we hear uh, the person that's really at the center of this, and Jesus is bombarded by these voices, and a man cries out, verse 38, and behold, a man from the crowd cried out and said, teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child, and behold, a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and uh, shatters him and will hardly leave him. And I begged your disciples, here's the problem, I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. They came to the disciples. Obviously, this man was probably looking for Jesus to begin with. They were, he wasn't there. The disciples said, hey, we can take care of this. The apostles said, hey, we can take care of this. And rightfully so, they, they should have been able to take care of it. And it didn't work. The demon didn't leave. Now, Matthew tells us that this young man, as it talks about convulsions here, had what would look like epilepsy. He'd have these epilepsy fits where he'd be falling and, and shaking as a result of it. But we know, based upon the man here, we know, uh, based upon the remainder of the story, that this uh, epileptic episode was demon possession. So this was a demon here. Now listen to me very, very carefully. Not all epileptic episodes are demon possession, okay? So don't, sit, don't buy into that. This situation was. And so the father came looking for Jesus. He got the disciples who should have been able to take care of this situation, should have had success in this ministry, but yet didn't. Well, why should they have had success? They should have had success because Jesus had given them already the authority to preach the word, to heal the sick, and to cast out demons. They have been given this authority by Jesus. They have gone and they have done this and seen this, but at this time, they couldn't do it. And so the man speaks up. Jesus goes to help the boy, and he certainly does, but in doing so, and this is kind of where we're going to center our thoughts later on as we go through today, in doing so, Jesus makes a strong statement. And listen to me very carefully. Jesus makes this statement out of frustration. Now think about that for a minute. Jesus makes this statement out of frustration. In nine, chapter 9, verse 41, he says this, Jesus answered, well, there wasn't really a question given other than the fact, will you heal my son? And Jesus, out of frustration, says, oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? And then he says, bring the son to me. Now, I need you to let you know a few things about this frustration. First of all, it's interesting here, because Jesus was sinless, that this wasn't sinful. Okay, Because this frustration wasn't based on anger, it wasn't based upon sin. I want you to understand this frustration. Jesus' frustration came out of a heart of deep love and concern for his apostles and disciples. This frustration came out of the fact that he wanted them to succeed. How many of you know that God wants you to succeed in your spiritual life? 
God wants you to grow. God wants you to have success in the ministries that he calls you to. He wants these things to happen. But yet, the disciples being with him two years have just experienced all these things that they've seen of Jesus, just experienced powerful ministry in their life. Now comes to a sick little boy that they should have been able to take care of, and they fall flat on their face. And Jesus is frustrated, frustrated for them frustrated for them because God hates it when we fail especially when he calls us to do something because when God calls us to do something and we do it in his strength and his power listen we're not supposed to fail he's given us the power and the ability but yet we see here the apostles fail not only is it the apostles that fail but Mark tells us something very important here and says that the father also struggled with belief the father didn't believe that the disciples could do it. And Jesus said uh, that, that both of these situations, the, the apostles being where they were and uh, the, the man being where he was, caused the lack of success. But Jesus, in his love for this boy, of course, goes ahead and takes care of the situation in verse 42. So we see, he says, bring the boy, bring the son here. And while he is coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him. So the demon had one last little bit of fit uh, before he knew that Jesus would rebuke him and cast him out. And so Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. And so Jesus casts out the demon. And then verse 43 is just an eye-opener for us. And really, we, we don't, the first part of it, we don't really think about it when we, when we read it. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. Now that word all, very simple word, means what? means all. So if all were there, that includes this. The apostles, the disciples, and the crowd were all amazed at God that he cast out this demon. Which it brings glory to him as a result of that. But the apostles should have been able to do this themselves. Should have been able to take care of this because God has appointed that to them. So Jesus enjoys here the moment of them proclaiming that he is the son of God and rightfully so but what we don't understand here or, or what we need to see here is this is that that what's so interesting is the fact that Jesus heals this boy and then he just moves on to something else it's like okay here it is we're done let's let's move on because Jesus was more interested in teaching his apostles and his disciples than he was uh, in even healing this boy not that he didn't have compassion not that he didn't want the boy to be healed he did and obviously he did but look at what happens while they were all marveling the last part of verse 43 so they marvel at his majesty and then verse 43 part b but while they were marveling, so in the middle of this, they're like, man, God, that's great. Thank you for doing that. Jesus is like, okay, uh, apostles, come here. Side note. Moves out of the way. Jesus said to his disciples, let these words sink into your ears. I kind of highlighted the sink in part of that on this verse because I want you to get, he's, he, <laughs> can I give you my paraphrase of what this is? Here, right here, guys, right here. You with me? Right here. Right here. Okay. Get this in your head. That's what he's saying. Let this sink in. You have to understand the importance. You have to understand what he's saying here. You have to understand why he is, in a way, frustrated. Because not only is he frustrated because he wants the disciples and apostles to be uh, successful, he's working against the clock. And he recognizes it, but the disciples don't recognize it. 
he recognizes that, listen, there's a time coming very, very soon. And you need to recognize it's very, very soon. He says, get this in your mind. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. In other words, I am going to be killed. This is the second time he says this to his disciples and to his apostles. In other words, I'm going to the cross. But look at this. He's, he's got him focused in. And have you ever looked at someone in the eyes when you tried to give them something very, very important and you realize that when you look into their eyes, they're glassed over? Or can I rephrase that? How many of you have teenagers? Some of you got that. Okay. Teenagers are like, that's not funny. Okay. Look what he says. But they did not understand this saying. It was concealed from them. Whether it was concealed spiritually or whether it was concealed because they couldn't perceive it, we don't know. But they, they, they could not perceive and they were afraid to ask him about the saying. So, so this is an intense moment here, all right? So, so Jesus is like, listen, you've got to get this. And they're like, okay, Jesus, uh, whether we get it or not, we're not going to tell you we didn't get it because <laughs> we don't want to ask you right now. This is a serious, serious moment. Why does Jesus keep bringing this up? Very simply, and this is for us as well, church. Jesus is emphasizing that without him here, they have to pick up and continue his ministry. Jesus says, I am leaving. I am going to the cross. I'm going to die on the cross for the sins of all of mankind. And then I am going to leave. I'm going to ascend into heaven. I will give you the comfort of the Holy Spirit, but you... You are here. I am leaving. You are here. Church, you are now the disciples. You are here. Why are you here? To fulfill the ministry of Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. That's what he has called us to do. That's what he is calling the disciples. He says, listen, you need to understand that once I am gone, you now step into the place. You are now Jesus to the world. You are now taking the message of the gospel. You are now reaching this world. This is what you are called to do. This is what you are called to be. And yet, unfortunately, it didn't sink in. And I think to be very honest and to be very fair for the disciples, sometimes and a lot of times it doesn't really sink in with us either, does it? Right? But let me show you, and, and this is where I, I think the Bible is hilarious. If you don't ever think the Bible is funny, you're not reading it right, okay? Because I'm telling you, this is hilarious, uh, this situation. So Jesus just had this one-on-one -on -one with his disciples. He's just explained to them how serious this is, how he's going to go away, how I want you to be successful in ministry, and I want, I want these things to happen, and you are going to build my church, and, and just gets done with this. And they, they're so clueless to what's going on another argument erupts just shortly after this and this is crazy verse 46 an argument arose among them among the apostles as to which one of them was the greatest yeah you should be laughing hysterically at this point right he just said to them I'm leaving. You've got stuff to do. This is important. Well, I'm better than you are. What? Well, I think, I think Jesus, you see, did you see when Jesus did this? He, he was really looking at me because he knows I'm going to be the one that's going to carry the ministry. He, he knew I was going to be the, the one that's going to be so important uh, in, in all of this. No, 
I believe, I believe at this point, and this is just my belief, you can keep it or, or not, whatever you want. I believe Jesus actually rolled his eyes at this point. <laughs> I think it was a big eye roll. Because Jesus doesn't even say anything at first. And so, so uh, but, but Jesus knowing the reasoning in their hearts, oh my goodness, Lord. He's like, you know, these are the 12 I chose? Wait a minute. Knowing the reasoning in their hearts, Jesus walks over to the crowd and he says, he says to, to like little Jay sitting here, he says, hey son, come here for a minute. And, and, and he sets him next to him here and says, he took a child and put him by his side and said to them, whoever receives this child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is the least among you all is the one who is greatest. In other words, can I paraphrase what Jesus said to them? It's not about you. It's not about you. It's not about the, the, you, where your position is in the kingdom. It's not about what, what kind of accolades you have. It doesn't matter who impo- is important to you. You are here to humble yourself. You are here to sacrifice yourself that you would go to the least of all of these to ensure that the gospel message is preached to them and they have an opportunity for heaven. It's not about you. It's not about who you are. It's not about the titles you have. And you would think, man, they'd be like, oh man, I get this. This is, this is good stuff. No. <laughs> they still don't get it. Now, you would think J- Peter would be the one. We always pick on Peter, don't we? No, this is John who comes now to Jesus, the one who, who Jesus so loved. And, and he steps up, and, and, and I think he's trying to say to Jesus, I, I think I get what you're saying. And, and, and he makes a statement here to try to prove that he thinks he gets what Jesus is saying and not even <laughs> close. John se- steps up and says, okay, so we're not to fight amongst ourselves about who is greatest in your kingdom. We are to sacrifice ourselves to minister to the least of these so the world gets the gospel. And we are, we are, well, we're the only ones that are to do this, right, Jesus? You get it? So if, if it's not me that's the greatest, let's make the group the greatest. <laughs> so we're, we're the ones, Jesus, that, that you've called. We're specially called out to this because John says, I don't know why John answers this way, but this is what he says. This is, I, listen, this is God's word. I didn't pick this out. This is what it says. John answered. He says, we're not supposed to make ourselves great, but, but as a matter of fact, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. In other words, we saw somebody doing the ministry we couldn't do, and they were successful in doing it. But we know that we're only the ones who are supposed to be doing this, so we tried to stop him. Don't do the ministry we're supposed to do. It's only for us to do. And we tried to stop him because he doesn't follow us. He's not in our group. What does Jesus say? Oh, but Jesus said to him, do not stop him, for the one who is not against you is for you. In other words, 
You are not the only ones who are going to do my ministry. You're kicking this baby off, but there are going to be many who come behind you, and including us, church, that are called to do the ministry of Jesus Christ. Now, with all of that and with all of the, the humor that goes along with, with it, and all of us saying, well, those silly disciples, they never get it. Those apostles, they never, they never seem to get it. Let's not forget that we fill those shoes very well. Because there are many times in our lives where we should get it, and we don't. And as I studied out this passage, I got focused on it, and I could not get away from verse number 41, where Jesus is frustrated with his disciples. And as I said before, this is a frustration out of love. Let me put it to you this way. Have you ever had someone in your life that you cared greatly about and you gave them the instructions in their life and even the tools that they needed to be successful in an area of their life, but they just won't do it or they just couldn't figure it out and do it in their lives? Have you ever had someone that you invested in, someone that you poured your life into, that you wanted to help them do something in their life and at at the end they just won't? abide by what you gave them they just won't do it how are you you're frustrated aren't you why because you don't invest in somebody that you don't want to be successful you don't invest in somebody that you don't want to see uh, go forward this is where jesus was this is exactly what jesus was dealing with he has set them up for success he wants his apostles to succeed he wants his ministry to continue after he is gone but they don't get it And church, a couple thousand years later, this is exactly what Jesus is doing for us. This is exactly what Jesus wants for us. Jesus has set us up for success. Jesus wants us to be successful in our ministry. Jesus wants us to be successful in our life. Jesus wants us to live a life that glorifies him, that can be used of him. Jesus wants us to be successful as a follower of Jesus. But so often in our life, we don't get it. So as I studied this passage this week, a question came to my mind. I don't know if if it is in your mind, but it came to my mind, and I was greatly convicted by it. You know, if you ever hear a pastor tell you that sometimes as we're studying and getting ready, we we receive a revelation that we really uh, want to reveal, a revelation of the Word of God that that is not a new revelation, but coming out of of the Word of God. And sometimes we try to convey that to our people, and we just don't do a good job conveying it. That's one of these moments. So I want you to Really kind of help me here and, and just really focus in if you can for, for just a moment. I hope I can say this the way that I believe God wants me to say it. But I was really, really convicted by this thought. Since Jesus is God enrobed in flesh, since the Bible tells us that Jesus is the perfect representation of God the Father, since Jesus, since Jesus was frustrated with his apostles does God get frustrated with me does God get frustrated with me and when we take that word frustrated we always like well no God's a God of love God's a God of patience but Jesus is God and Jesus didn't sin And he got frustrated with his apostles. 
And we are now in those places where he has called us to be the, the hands and feet of Jesus to the world. And, and we in our lives, God wants us to be successful. And the only answer I could come up with that question that broke my heart and really drew me to my knees this week was yes. God does get frustrated with me. Does that mean God doesn't love me? No, he absolutely does love me. It's his love that draws him to frustration. It's his love in wanting to, me to be successful in, uh, in life and in ministry that draws him to this frustration. And I just had to pause. I, I remember going home. It was Thursday evening as I was really weighing on me there. And I, just, I remember saying to Paul, I said, man, you ever think about the fact that God gets frustrated with us? That's hard. I don't want my God to be frustrated with me, even if his frustration is based out of love. And then I had to ask the question, well, then what is it that frustrates God? And I think in this narrative, he gives us three simple things, three very important things that I'm going to go through quickly with you. But I, I believe these are the things that frustrate God. And he tells us right here in his statement in verse number uh, 41, that, and I have it highlighted, Jesus' answer said, Oh, faithless generation. The first thing that frustrates God with us is our lack of faith. Now, we've talked about faith before, and I want to stress this. We do not have a faith. Listen, we do not have a faith that is a blind faith. We do not have a faith that says, leap, and you don't know what's going to happen. Because here's the truth, and this is what God wants us to know. He has given us every answer to every question that you can have in your life and how to deal with every situation of life right here in His Word. I was reminded the other day, a statement I guess I said a while ago, and I say it quite often, but it's very, very true. Uh, if God said it, that settles it. I won't pick out the person who told me that, but they remembered it from a sermon series way back when, and I can't believe they remember. I didn't remember it, so, you know. <laughs> Somebody's listening. I'm so excited. Okay. <laughs> faith. It is not a faith that is blind. You see, Jesus already gave to his apostles the authority to do this work. What authority has he given us, church? In Matthew 28, 19 and 20, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go and make disciples. We as his children are called by God to go out into our community to live a life successful because we follow the things of God in our life. And then when our life is right with God and living a life of success because we trust God in our lives, we then speak out the good news of Jesus Christ to those in the world. And God says, listen, you will have success. There's a harvest field out there. And God promises that he is the Lord of the harvest. And if you will obey and trust him in your life and in ministry, you will have a harvest. He promises that. The Bible has in it uh, over 3,000, over 3,000 promises. Things that God says he will do for you, things that God says he will do through you. 
He promises to always be with us, doesn't he? He promises to supply our needs according to his riches and glory. He promises to give us the words that we need when we share the good news of Jesus Christ. He promises that he is going to be with us through everything that we go through. These are the words of God. And can I just give you this definition of faith? Trusting God to do what he said you can do. That's faith. I used to have a statement of faith is to believe God in whatever he says. And that's true. But even that word belief sometimes makes us feel like we have to have a leap of faith. It's not it. God is not telling us to do anything that he hasn't said we can already do. He's not calling us to, now we may not know the outcomes, we may not, it may be a leap of faith for us in the fact that we're obeying just what God says for us, but God has said it, and check it out. Guess what? Titus chapter 1 verse 2, God cannot lie. Not that he won't, it's that his character is against it. So listen, if God cannot lie, if he told you that, that through his word, that what you can do and who you can be and how to have success in your life, then guess what? It will work. Because he said it. This is where I struggle the most, especially in the life we're living in 2020. Right? Wear a mask, don't wear a mask. This thing's going to kill you. This thing's not going to kill you. What, right? Everything that comes out uh, from man on one thing of this pandemic, someone else is contradicted on the other side of this pandemic, and we're going, I don't know what to do. Let me tell you what to do. Trust God. Follow his word. Do what is right. How do I know that this is one of the main areas not only did Jesus say that, but listen to what the Apostle Paul said, or not the Apostle Paul, excuse me, the author of Hebrews said in Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 6, without faith, without faith, without trusting God, without trusting God, it is impossible to please Him. When we try to do our own thing instead of follow the word of God, when we try to live our lives outside of, the, of what God has given us, we're living outside of faith. And when we live outside of faith, that frustrates God. The second thing that frustrates God that we see here is the second phrase that he uses in verse 41. He says, oh, faithless and twisted, twisted generation. Some of your translations say perverted generation. We look at that and we go, well, what's he talking about? For them, though, they understood exactly what he was talking about because this was really a slam, if you will, on the spiritual leadership of that day. In other words, what Jesus is saying is that you know the Word of God, but you don't live out the Word of God. You know the Word of God, but you twist it to make it what you want uh, and how you can use it. And so this lack here, so a lack of faith, is really a lack of power, and it goes hand in hand with a lack of faith. If we have a lack of faith, we have a lack of power. Why do we have a lack of power? Well, what does Jesus say to them? As a matter of fact, the, the apostles in Mark's gospel come to him and say, well, why in the world could we not cast out this demon? What was wrong? And Jesus said these words. He said, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Some of your translations say prayer and fasting. Now, what is Jesus talking about here? Because you, we read that and we go, well, certainly if they're casting out a demon, then they're praying as well and they're asking God to do this because they did it underneath Jesus' authority and so there's prayer involved. That's not what Jesus is talking about. It's not praying in the midst of the problem. 
Literally what Jesus is saying is you could not cast out this demon because you weren't prayed up before the problem. Do you hear me? Church, we've got to get this because we are such a reactionary people. And the reality is this, is that it's not until we get into the troubles of life, the struggles of life, the hardships of life that we finally get to our knees and go, God, please help. God's grace and mercy is he does help in that. But you know what? It would have been far better off if you had been staying in God's word and in prayer long before that. This is exactly what Jesus is saying. This is exactly the point that he's saying here. Remember, remember on the Mount of Transfiguration last week we talked about this? Remember what Jesus was doing before he was transfigured? He was praying, wasn't he? What were the apostles doing? Yeah, they were fighting off sleep. Dear Jesus, right? Why? Because they didn't take it as serious as Jesus did. And the other apostles, the other nine that were left behind, apparently what Jesus was saying is that when I was gone, and the mice played, right? When I was gone, they didn't take prayer time seriously. They didn't take the things I have taught them seriously. And then when the problems came, the young man came who was demon-possessed, they had no power. Why? Because they weren't prayed up. Listen, the point is simply this. If you do not continually spend time in God's Word, because listen, God's Word feeds your soul. Do you hear me? It's amazing, it's amazing how we'll never miss a meal physically, but we'll go months without opening God's Word, and our soul is starving. If we do not continually spend time in God's Word and prayer, when we are in the good times of life, when the hard times of life come, we will not be successful in our life. That's the principle that Jesus is saying to his apostles. He's saying, trust the word. But listen, how in the world can you trust the word of God if you don't know the word of God? How much of this book do you know? I know a lot of the Bible, but I find so many times that the more I know about the Bible and the more I know about things of God, the less I actually know. It goes deeper. It goes, this is a living book. This is a book that you might have a, a situation in your life where there's a problem in your life and you read one passage of scripture and it takes care of it at that time in your life and then you're in a other per period of time and that same exact passage of scripture will talk to that deeper problem that you have in your life. Why? Because the Bible is living. We continually learn. The Holy Spirit continually teaches. We will never exhaust the pages and the knowledge of this book. Therefore, in order for us to get through this life, in order for us to handle the pressures of this life, in order for us to be the success that God wants us to be, we must be read up and we must be prayed up all the time. All the time. We must be in God's Word. As a matter of fact, now I know for sure Paul wrote this in Romans chapter 10. He says this, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the Word of God. We take that passage of Scripture and we usually lump that in with salvation. And that's right because the passage is talking about salvation. But that word faith there is any faith we have in our lives, any faith that we grow in, the only way that we can have faith is for us to put the Word of God and prayer in our lives. 
You say, Pastor Mike, you harp on this all the time. Preachers always harp on this all the time. Because it's the only thing that God has given us. Right? Why do you keep saying it? Well, because God said it. and He didn't give me plan B. So what else do you want me to tell you? Know the word. Get in prayer. And I promise you, your faith is growing. And I promise you, you'll have success in your life through God. And I promise you, God will be pleased. And the last thing here, very quickly. The third thing that causes God to be frustrated is a lack of unity. Verse 50. He says, John says, listen, this guy's doing ministry. He's not a part of our group. And what does Jesus say? Don't stop him. He may not be part of your group, but he's a part of my group. And the fact of the matter is is that one of the greatest things that God wants, one of the greatest things that we must have is unity, especially in the house of God. We are to be a united people underneath the head of Christ to fulfill the mission that God has called us to do. And when we are united doing that, we will be successful. We must be united in building up our faith through God's word and prayer. And our faith must be strong, but we also must be united in the mission and the goal that God has for us. And the first step to that, and this is hard for me to say in the situation that we're in, so listen to me very, very careful, but this is so true. The first step of unity is you have to be here. Now, what is here defined as for Corona life? You have to either be physically here or with us online. You have to be a part of the church. You have to be plugged in. Okay? Listen, if you are at home online with us today, praise God you're there. I'm so thankful you're there. You're a part of the church family even though you're there. And I respect that you're staying there. But if God is leading you to be back into the family, be back into the family. It is such a funny thing. I thought about this. I don't know if I share. I'm just going to share it. I'm going to give you a little insight into the pastor's mind. And I know we're running behind, so hold on. We're finishing up here, okay? But listen. If I ever come to you, if you've ever been away for a couple weeks or, or you have, you, something's going on in your life and you're away from church, and I ever come to you and just say, how you doing? Missed you, something like that. I am not guilting you. All right? Please understand that. I, I know Oh, Pastor, you know, it's almost like when you get back for a couple weeks, you've been away or something like that on vacation, it's legitimate, you've gone to church where you're at, whatever. Oh, no, Pastor's going to ask me, and I feel, you know. It's only because I care, because I just want to know how you're doing. And I get this answer all the time, every single time. How you doing? Oh, busy, busy, busy. Life is just so busy. I've just got so much going on. Yeah, life is busy. It's busy for all of us. I recognize that. That's fine. And uh, just want you to know, care about your stuff like that. But I have to reiterate this to you. I have to say this again. You don't have to appease me. I want you here because I love you. I want you here because I enjoy your fellowship. I don't have much family in the area. I don't have my parents and my grandparents and all that kind of stuff around here. They're all in Michigan. It's the Wolverines one. Okay, never mind. Um, they're all in Michigan. And we're here. Guess what? You're my family. And I love that every Sunday I get to come and see my family. And when you're not here, I miss you. But I miss you because I love you. I am, can, I, can you get this? I am not your judge. It doesn't matter a hill of beans whether or not I'm happy or sad that you're here or not here. Because I have... Nothing to do with God, God's not. You're not going to stand before God and go, Pastor Mike, come here. How many times? 
you know, well, let me tell you, God, right? I had to get off camera for that one. That's why I moved over there. You know why? Because God knows. It's between you and him. It's between you and him. But why do I say all of that? I say that to say this. Your church needs you. I need you. Thank you again for your love that you've shared to me, but I can't do this alone. I can't fulfill the mission that God has for this church. There's a reason we're here. There's a reason why we exist. There's a reason and a job that God has for us. I can't do it, but we can. And lack of unity frustrates God. And when you're not here, it starts with you being here. If you're not here, then you can't invest in ministry. If you're not here, then you can't invest in what's going on. Even your uh, just simply being here, participating even in this, is the foundation of starting that you invest in ministry. Do you understand? So what frustrates God is a lack of our faith. What frustrates God is a lack of power in our life because we don't take God's word and apply it in, into our life and live it out and be in prayer when we need to. And what frustrates God is a lack of unity. But now, do me a favor. Don't take this as a negative message, but turn it around. What makes God proud? You want to make God proud of you? There's, there's a right proud. There is a righteous pride. Remember when Satan went before God in the book of Job? And you remember what God said? What did he say? Look at my servant Job. Why? Because God was proud of him. There's a right pride. Look at my servant Job. You know what I want God to do? Look at my servant Nate. Look at my servant Noah. Look at my servant Mel. Look at my servant Kim. Right? Look at my servant Carrie. Right? Satan, you think you got things going on? I got servants all over. Look at this. They're faithful. They're in God's word. They're plugged in to the church. What makes God proud of us? Completely trusting him. God, I see my circumstances. I see what's going on in the world. This world is just nuts, God. Do you realize this world is nuts? But I'm holding on to your word. I'm trusting in what you say. I might not be able to see it today, but one day I'll see it because you are faithful. You will do what you say. I trust you. When there's nothing else to hold on to, I'm holding on to you. It's faith. Continually studying God's word. How in the world am I going to hold on to anything unless I know what the book says? I got to know God. I got to be in here. Speak to me. Holy Spirit, talk to me. Convict me. Show me what's right. Committed to the work together. Get involved. Invest. You know what I find? So very often you might find this in your life as well. When things are going rough in my life, if I commit myself to help someone else, things get better in my life. How about you? Well, guess what? As Dave even announced this morning, man, we're moving forward, church. Corona's not going to be here forever. We've got a mission. God has a mission for us. We've got a direction. We've got a plan. We've, we and we need you to invest, to get involved, to step up to the plate, to say, God, I'm going to trust you, I'm going to study your word, and I'm going to invest. And when we do that, church, when we do that, God says, man, look at Marquette Community Church. That's a church I'm proud of. They're following me. 
Don't you want to be a church that God's proud of? I do. Trust God. Study his word and pray. Invest. And I leave you with this. Live so God is proud with you. Live so God is proud of you. Will you stand with me in God's house today? Father God, I thank you so much for your word. And this has been a tough word. But Lord, I pray that it has also encouraged us to be closer to you. God, I thank you for the patience of your people. I know this has been long, but Holy Spirit, please don't let the longevity of this message hinder the truth of your word. Now bless, Lord, as we go this week. Let us be a church. Let us be a people that you're proud of, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.